Today's scripture reading is uh, Genesis 24, verse 50, I mean through 60, through 69. 24, 60, through 69. And they blessed Rebekah, <clears throat> and they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young woman arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Ber Laharoi and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant took Isaac and all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah. And she became his wife. And he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is the word of the living God. Please be seated. Before we uh, begin looking at this passage, uh, several um, things that, uh, that I need to inform you of. Number one, uh, on August 25th, which is the last Sunday of, of this month, at the end of the service, uh, we will have um, an active shooter uh, preparation. Um, and uh, uh, so if you're here... Um, We'll be instructing you on what our procedures are in that kind of a scenario. And uh, the, uh, the um, safety team that we have, uh, they will know how to react and what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, but we just want to inform you that that will be happening uh, the last Sunday of this month at the end of the morning service. All right? Um, also, uh, we have a, a few um, open spots in terms of ministry. Now that Nancy is leaving, um, we, we have to replace her in all those things. So if you have musical ability as far as instruments uh, go, and we don't know about that yet, uh, we would love to hear from you, uh, whether it's piano, guitar, or uh, other instrument. Uh, let us know, and um, I'll meet with you and talk to you. Uh, about that. Um, we uh, also, if, if you believe that you have the vocal talent to be able to uh, lead the worship um, music and you would like to try out because you will have to try out, um, please do not try out if you are sensitive. Because I, I will say no and and I don't want you to leave the church because I said no to you uh, in terms of the worship team. But if you have an interest in music and, and you think that you might have that musical ability, um, then uh, let me know and, and we'll give you uh, a, a tryout for the, uh, the worship team uh, as well. So uh, those are a couple of the things that, uh, that we need for this fall. Um, also, a kids club. Uh, Nancy worked with that. We do have one staff person 
uh, who will be replacing Nancy, but uh, we could use uh, another individual um, in that ministry. That's our younger kids from first through fifth grade. You have to have been a regular attendee of the church for six months, and you have to have gone through our child safety program and had a background check before you can do that. But if you might be interested in, uh, in that, that's uh, every other Friday night. Um, feel free to uh, come to me, let me know, and uh, we'll work uh, at that. All right? I think that's everything. Yes. All right. So we come to our passage here in um, chapter 24. Oh, no, there was one more thing. Uh, we have been going um, like a tractor uh, through the book of Genesis. Um, we are now going to take Delilah's approach to things, and we're going to take a race car to cover the end of this. We're going to be going through uh, a chapter to two chapters a week uh, from now to the end of the year, because in, in uh, January, uh, we're going to be starting a whole uh, new um, approach to ministry um, that's going to encompass the whole church, including the morning worship service. So uh, get your fast listening ears on for the next uh, few months. So here we are. Uh, we've been in this chapter now for several weeks looking at this situation in which uh, Abraham has sent his servant to get Rebecca, um, um, to get a, a wife, and it turns out to be Rebecca. And uh, the family has agreed to it, and the family has sent him on the way. And in the passage today, uh, she arrives back with Isaac. Now, what many people don't understand concerning the Old Testament is that all of the Old Testament is a picture. Uh, it is a type of something greater something that's more real, more substantial. The Old Testament is like a shadow that is cast backward from the megalith of Jesus Christ. It is his shadow that oversees everything that we have in the Old Testament. While a photograph or a portrait is a picture of a real situation or a real person, it is only an image that uh, points to that person. And that's the way it is when we're reading the Old Testament. Friday, I attended the interment of uh, Morris Barber, uh, Al Castricone's uh, father. And on the wall in Al's brother's house were these two large pictures uh, of Al's father when he was younger. Two really well-done, nice pictures. But as handsome as his father was in his full Navy dress, it's still not the same thing as being there with the real person and being able to interact with him. As we read through the Old Testament, the events and people foreshadow the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's why so many of the passages in the Gospels quote or refer to passages back in the Old Testament as they speak about the life and the ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The human authors, whether it was Moses or 
the writers of the historical books, or the prophets like Isaiah, or Daniel, or Malachi, or the poetic writers of the Psalms and Ecclesiastes. These are divinely inspired by the sovereign God who created the universe and purposed everything that was going to happen in that universe. Therefore, those human writers were guided by the Holy Spirit so that the events that they record actually point forward to God's purpose in Jesus Christ. So when you're reading the Old Testament, you should be reading the Old Testament and asking, where is Christ in this passage? Throughout the New Testament, it reveals Christ more clearly than the Old Testament. We know that. Just as a real interaction with a person reveals more about that person than the picture of that person does. Still, as we read the Old Testament, it speaks as much about the glories of Christ and his kingdom as does the New Testament. When we open the Old Testament, it ought to be like opening a, 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 a photo album of your ancestors. And as you look at that photo album of your ancestors, you see yourself. You, you see you know, the eyes of that person. You, you see the, the uh, way that they carry their head. You, you see the, the, their, their mouth or their ears. And, and you see yourself in those pictures. One might say that the DNA of our Lord Jesus Christ is scattered all the way through the Old Testament. We don't need Ancestry.com to see Jesus in Joseph, or in David, or Samuel, or Moses. And therefore, as we look at this text this morning, as our theme from this passage states, when reading the Old Testament, a Christian sees the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ on every page and in every event. Did you hear that? Even as we will see in this passage, no matter what passage it is that you're reading in the Old Testament, a Christian will see the glory of God as it's revealed in Jesus Christ in every major person and in every event. God's glory in Christ Jesus. So, Notice how our text then clearly points to our Lord Jesus Christ through a prophetic message that's given here by Rebecca's family. I mean, the prophecy, we find it in verse 60, echoes what we have already seen many times here in terms of what has been promised to Abraham. And so we read, And they blessed Rebecca, and they said to her, Our sister... May you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gates of those who hate him. Now this theme of the offspring, we have seen time and time again, as we've followed the way through in Abraham's life, and now we're seeing it with Isaac as well. 
It is consistently pointed to the one who is to come. The one that the Apostle Paul claims is the fulfillment of all of the promises of the Old Testament. Our Lord Jesus Christ, just as he tells us about that in Galatians 3.16. The offspring is one, Christ. And only through Jesus Christ does Isaac and Rebekah produce an offspring that becomes the multitude that is described here in this text, the thousands of ten thousands. The book of Revelation tells us of the fulfillment of this. We look in Revelation 7. It says, After this I looked, And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. A multitude that no one could number. I know that the the shadow of this is seen in the nation of Israel. Yet neither in the Old Testament nor in history, and certainly not in the present nation, have the Israelites come close to seeing the reality as it's described here. David united the whole of the Middle East underneath his rule for a short time. But Jesus Christ, he has brought all of the nations of the earth under himself, and not just the nation of the earth, but all of its enemies, the scripture says, are being made his footstool, even to the enemy of death itself. As Jesus promised concerning his church in Matthew 16, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But how could those family members Rebecca's family, as they give this prophetic statement over her, how could they have known to give such a prophetic message except under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Yes, as we continue in this passage, notice how Rebecca and the company that she was with entered into a prosperous march. The, this prosperous march begins with that prophetic word, But now they're able to travel. Beginning of this chapter, we pointed out how treacherous this journey was that the servant made covering 400 miles through enemy territory with his camels and all the riches that were on those camels traveling all the way up to get to Rebecca's family. And now they have to make that return trip. They still have a great deal of wealth with them, but now they've added a beautiful woman and her entourage. They're passing through enemy territory. Will they make it? Verse 61. Rebecca and her young women arose, rode on the camels, and followed the man. The servant took Rebecca, and he went his way. Long, 400-mile journey with these camels. 
But just as God had sovereignly overseen the traveling of Eleazar, the steward of Abraham, as he traveled north, so God will make sure that their return journey to the southern parts, to the, the, the Negev of Canaan, to meet Isaac, will be prosperous. You see, God has a divine plan, and nothing can prevent that plan from happening from becoming a reality. And what is true of her, Rebecca, is true of you as well. God is actively working in your life if you are a believer of Jesus Christ. But I want you to think about this trip that they are making. What would have happened to God's plan? If Abraham's servant and Rebekah had been waylaid along the way by bandits. Or what if they had traveled through a, a community where there was a king like Pharaoh or like Abimelech, both of whom had taken Sarah, Abraham's wife, from him? What if they took Rebekah? What would have happened to God's eternal plan and God's eternal purpose? The nation of Israel would not have existed. Jesus Christ would never have become the Savior of the world. But none of that happened. And it didn't happen because the angel of the Lord had camped around those who fear him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that for them? Do you believe it for you? Do you know that God is actively at work bringing forth his purpose in your life no matter what the circumstances? God has a plan, the scripture says, for every one of us. Sean talked about the shape that they're going to be talking about tonight in class 301. What is our shape as God has given it to us. He has not given it to us just so that we can exist. He's given it to us for his purpose, for his glory, to be revealed in your life and in mine. Do you have that kind of assurance that he is moving your life forward in your life journey just as he did Rebecca and Abraham's servants? Well, our Lord Jesus had that confidence. Jesus knew that God was in control of every single moment of his life. He was able to overcome Satan's temptation in the wilderness, who tried to get him to doubt God's promises. As he continued through his years of ministry, we find him resting, not trembling, not panicking, not worrying, but resting in the confidence that God was in control of his life. It wasn't because he was the son of God that he was able to do that, because Philippians 2 tells us that he emptied himself of his divine glory to become a human being and to even become a servant. He rested in his father's purpose, confidence that God was in charge. And that's why you never see him panic. 
you never see him worry. He knew that no weapon formed against him would stand. And what Jesus knew and experienced for himself, he has promised to us who love him. Hold on to that promise. The promise that we have given to us in John chapter 10, verse 28. It says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. That's an eternal promise. That is a steadfast promise that the faithful father gave to his son an inheritance that is eternally secured by God's mighty and powerful hand. We might fight against a very powerful enemy. Satan certainly is. One who opposes our Lord and and opposes any who are associated with our Lord. And while we fight against him, the scripture promises that our way shall prosper. For we are safe and well. And with the great apostle, we will be able to declare on that last day, I have finished the course. Yet let it be known that the servant and Rebekah did not have a prosperous march just simply because God had ordained it. For our God has sovereignly decreed the means, not just the end, the way that it will happen. God is actively working in and amongst his people, as Ephesians 2.10 reminds us, to carry out the good works that he prepared beforehand that we should do. Therefore, we can rightfully say that they had a prosperous march because they had a prayerful master. This doesn't diminish in the slightest the sovereignty of God. Some people, especially those of us from reformed Christians, are loath to say that human beings did anything to assist God in any way. Yet let me ask you, my friends, would we have salvation if Jesus Christ had not been born by Mary? It's a human giving birth to a child. Would the New Testament have been written if Saul of Tarsus had not responded by faith to our Lord Jesus Christ? Or would we have a record of the development of the early church if Luke had not written to Theophilus the book of Acts? See, God has always worked through means. It's often human means. Sometimes, though, it's through nature. Even through angels, and once in a while, through a donkey. Just ask Balaam. Now that's why we read in verse 62 and 63, Now Isaac had returned from Bir Lahore and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. Isaac has just come from the well. It was the well where Hagar met God. 
And now he's just come from that place. A place that is named the God who sees. And now we are told that he left the place where God who sees and he comes to the southern part, the Negev, the southern part of Canaan. And he goes out into the field to meditate. That word that's translated here, meditate, in some other places is translated as prayer. Meditation here was not to meditate on, oh, nature is so beautiful. It is to meditate on God. To come before God in prayer and meditation on all the good things that God has done. Isaac has a close relationship with the same God that his father Abraham has had. He has learned from his father about the greatness of this God. And so he comes to meditate, to pray to that God. But what is he praying about? I'm sure there were many things that he was praying about, but I'm very confident of one thing that he was praying about. He knew that Eleazar, Abraham's servant, had left to go get him a wife. And I'm sure as he is out there meditating before the Lord, he is praying for his wife. He is praying for their safe journey. He is asking God to prepare his heart to meet her and her heart to meet him. What we see in Isaac, this son of Abraham, has become a type of Christ. He is a man of deep spiritual roots, and he models centuries earlier what would become the very heartthrob of our Lord and Savior. Luke 5. But he, Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Nearly 2,000 years earlier, that is exactly what Isaac has done. Gone out into the field, separated from everyone else to pray. And now we see the one whose shadow is cast back over time, Jesus Christ, doing the same thing going into those desolate places, the places away from others, and praying. How precious it is that Isaac would be praying at the very moment that his spouse-to-be is arriving. But how much greater is the promise that our Lord Jesus Christ is even now praying for his bride, for the church, interceding for you and for me and for all those who are his throughout all ages and will be praying until that day when his wife is presented to him, to the bride of Jesus Christ, the church arises and is forever with the Lord. And if he prays for us, how much more ought we to be praying for one another, upholding one another before the throne of our God as Isaac did And as our Lord Jesus prayed for us, as the Apostle Paul prayed for the churches that he was to oversee, are you praying for his bride? Are you praying for the church, my friends?
Are you caring about others besides yourself when you go before the Lord? Did you pray for the Christians in Egypt a week ago? Does our prayer bulletin encourage you to do? Or this week, the believers in Turkey, as they struggle with their governments? Oh, that we might be a people of prayer, even as Isaac, but more importantly, even as Jesus Christ. So notice it was because Isaac was a prayerful master that he was at the right place for a providential meeting with his spouse-to-be, Rebecca. You know, God has ordained our days, but are we in close communication with him so that we are aware of why he has put us in the place where we are at any given moment of our life? Check out this meeting with Isaac and Rebecca. It was a providential meeting. Abraham's servant and Rebecca met at the well at just the right moment. And so it happens here. We'll look at verses 63 to 65. He lifted up his eyes. Remember, he's out meditating, he's praying. He lifted up his eyes and he saw. Behold, there were camels coming. Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It's my master. So she took her veil, and she covered herself. Did you notice how Eliezer speaks here of Isaac as his master? You see, he's, he's been all of his life Abraham's servant, the steward of Abraham's household. And yet when she asks that question, he doesn't say Abraham's son. He says, my master. It is my master. Do you recognize how clearly this prefigures the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? God the Father sent his son out into the field, the fields that are white into harvest, to seek for a bride. The Father has sent him forth so that he might receive an inheritance, that he might receive unto himself his church. Just as Abraham was transferring his assets to his son so that Isaac was now becoming the master, so the Father the scripture says, has given to his son the authority over all things. As Rebecca asks, who is that man? So we also ask the same of Jesus Christ. Do you remember the interaction between the Lord and Peter in Matthew 16? Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. Do you have a clear answer? If somebody asks you that question, who is that man? Who is Jesus Christ? Earlier this summer, during our community outreach, Nico Colazzo had a canvas that he had uh, put up, and it was blank except for one question across the top. Who do you say? I am. 
And as the people of the community were passing by, he asked them that question, who do you say Jesus Christ is? And, and they would write their answers on that canvas. If you'd like to see it, it's downstairs. It's in the Metro Cafe uh, after the service. We invite you all to join us down there and, and check out that canvas. Who do you say that I am? At some point in your life, Someone shared the answer to that question with you, if you're a Christian today. They shared with you who exactly Jesus Christ was. And you had faith awakened within you by the Holy Spirit of God. And you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. But can you answer that question clearly for others? If someone asks you, Who is Jesus Christ? Can you share with them the clear truth of the gospel about who he is so that they too might have faith awakened within them? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Are you ready to share those truths with others? Are you equipped to tell them how they can know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? But I want you to notice one further thing from this passage. One further way that this story prefigures our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the story ends with a predestined move. In the weeks to come, we're going to see how Isaac models the life of his father Abraham. And in doing so, becomes a picture of Jesus Christ reflecting the glory of the Father who is he was the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, as the scripture says. But it begins here. It begins here as Abraham's servant says to the woman, he is my master. And it goes on as Isaac moves into the patriarchal role in verses 66 and 67. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her Rebekah, into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This isn't simply the story of a man gaining a wife. Oh, sure, that's what's gone on in this chapter, but this is far more than just the historical story of Isaac getting Rebekah. It's a record of God fulfilling his promise to Abraham and to Sarah. Their son Isaac, now somewhere around 40 years old or so, has become the new Abraham. The taking of his wife is the reception of that inheritance. Abraham, the patriarch, is turning over to his son the full rights as a head through the coming of Rebekah who now replaces Sarah. The New Testament makes it clear that both Sarah and Rebecca, and later on we will see it in Rachel, that they are types of the church as the bride of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 11, we read, For I, Paul, feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to the one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Isaac had never met 
Rebecca until that moment. And yet he loved her. And so too, we are told, before the world was ever set in place, God had predestined those who would become the bride of Christ, and he did so, the scripture says, in love. Listen to the powerful words as recorded in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians 1 we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That bride of Christ that Paul talks about there in 2 Corinthians, that bride was predestined in love before the world was even created, that they might be together in love for all of eternity. And that's the real purpose of this passage. This whole chapter and all that has come about in it, all of it, in the search for a wife for Isaac, is about Christ. Oh, we can read it as history. I have commentaries in my library that do that. They can tell me about the history of the world during the time of the patriarchs. Uh, They can go into detail about telling the meanings of names of the people and the places like Bir Lahairoi. And I can find out things like the distance that the servant traveled from that. And all of that is important information. But if all I was doing was reading it that way, it might as well be a research project. Studying the life of Isaac, or studying the patriarchal era for a history book. But a sermon is not a look at the historical aspects. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit has given us these words so that we might have eternal life. Paul writes that way to Timothy in 2 Timothy. Chapter 3, he says, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, that is, with the scriptures, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is able to make you wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. My friends, if you don't see Jesus Christ in these Old Testament events, then you've missed the glory and the meaning of those passages. This is a divine work. You know, it's nice to know that God will provide a prosperous march for us as we go through life, that he is watching over us and caring for us as he did for Rebecca and the servant. And we can rejoice over the fact that our life has meaning in every providential meeting that takes place. And it's wonderful to see how prayer 
is a blessed means to God working in your life and in mine. But if you miss how these passages point us to Jesus Christ, if you're not brought closer to our Savior because of reading these, then you've been robbed. Satan has stolen the seed of truth from your heart. The scripture will become just dead words, past history. It'll only hold meaning if you find something with which you can relate it to yourself. It makes you selfish and self-centered if you miss Christ. Let us pray for each other with Elisha. Lord, open his eyes. Lord, open our eyes. Let us see Christ. How many times have I reminded you as a congregation? The apostles and Jesus preached the same messages that we preach and they didn't have the New Testament. They had the Old Testament. And they saw Christ on every page. May our eyes be opened and our understanding so that we can see the glory of our Savior. Isaac and Rebecca, a whole chapter of the finding of a wife. But it is the shadow of the megalith of Christ falling back 2,000 years and being recorded not simply as a historical event, but as a picture. A picture of an ancestor of the one who is to come. And in his life, we see the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The bride his church. May he be praised as we study and learn from his word. And so I ask you, my friends, in conclusion, have you seen the glory of Christ in these Old Testament passages? Have you prepared yourself for eternity as you study the word? And are you in love with a master? A master who you have not yet seen with your physical eyes, but who your heart knows to be true, who has set his love on you from all of eternity and has called you into a love relationship with himself. Let's pray. How we rejoice in you. We thank you for that love that you set on us before the world was ever put in place. Oh, how glorious and how great it is to know that no matter what it is that's going on in our lives, that you have promised us a prosperous journey. Oh, not a journey without sorrow, not a journey without trouble, but a journey with Jesus Christ who has said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you until you arrive at that providential meeting 
that predestined move into eternity where we, as the bride of Christ, will know you. How great is the love that you have lavished on us that we should be called children of God. We ask you to open our eyes to see it. If there's anyone here, Lord God, who does not know you, who not, cannot answer themselves, who is that man? I pray that today you will place a hunger in them that they will not rest until they have experienced the greatness of your love. Through Jesus Christ, amen.